I'm doing great. How are you doing? Well, uh, I was better. You know, what what a difference two weeks, right? Right, top of the world. The ghouls save the party. The ghouls take giveth. The ghouls taketh away. So, well, you, you know, though, if you're playing a character called Autos the Third, because two before it died, you know, it's just a matter of time before it's Autos the Fourth. It is, yeah. Except uh, I was a little. Usually, I don't really care, but after the, you know, because he was inflicted with uh, kleptomania, he became a lot more of a personable <laughs> character. I, you know, he was a generic healing cleric that I didn't care much about. But once he had, once he was forcing uh, various small trinkets down his pants to store them, it, he, he he had something. So and it was like, a little disappointing. And I like the way that Edward basically indicated to not only your kleptomaniac, but like you have to like grab it now. <laughs> you're like right. you're not just like. Furtively, you know, secretively grabbing things. So I did do. Yeah. A, I did do a. And, and again, this is not the topic. But since you're, if you're listening to us, you realize we have these tangents. I did uh, do something that Gary Gygax says I should not do. And like, we're supposed to strike us dead if a player touches the dungeon master's guy. They're not supposed to look at no, it. Those days are long. I mean. You play. You play first edition now, and everyone at the table has a DMG. This is. This is what makes it hard to be a dungeon master, I think, of wanting in this day and age. The entire table is sitting there with dungeon master guides, right? Right. And flipping through as, you know. And don't you love it when you, like, announce a ruling and then immediately some, you know, they're looking through them, you know. Well, that's why you should remind them. It's page eight. As this book is the exclusive precinct of the DM, you must view any non-DM player possessing as something less than worthy of honorable death. Those were great days. Those were good days. That's, I love those days. That's, I'm, I'm holding up the book. For those who are listening to the podcast, I'm holding the Dungeon Master like a, like a tablet, raising it up to say, this is this is the word of Gary. So um, what? since I did violate one of the prime rules, only because I wanted to know, he mentioned kleptomaniac, um, there's rules about kleptomania in, in the... Correct. Insanity. In, in, in the insanity part of it, which was on page... It's like page 91, 92. And what was funny is you have a 90, here it is. Uh, this is another mild form of insanity, blah, blah, blah. There's a 90% probability of being seen stealing if the character is being observed. So you'll still steal even if you're observed. You don't care. You're right. So that's why that's why I was rolling the dice. That's why I asked if there was things, right. things for me to steal. And then I'd roll percentage and say, oh, yeah, I walk over there and, and I try to look stealthy because... You basically have, and and that would be a fun thing to add to thieves because then they get a minus ten percent on their stealing ability, do the overpowering urge to immediately steal the item. So that's why you're disappointed. Your your character died, was, right? Yeah. Could have played a kleptomania. It was, and and the fact that it was annoying, and uh, you know, I, I try not to be too annoying with. I'm trying to be supportive, and now I became uh, a hassle. So yeah, but 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 there's still that thing for the other party members who now. Are obsessed with whatever mission they're on, which right. is they they've got other and that's a, mental so issues. So that's that's permanent, huh? Apparently, apparently. Okay, very good. I look forward for John to, to see that. So um, we're kind of switching this up a little bit. Um, we're going to start with our word of recall segment, and um, then we'll do our suggestion, and then 
because we are too jibber-jabbery, I think having folks endure a two-and-a-half-hour podcast is problematic. So we're going to break it up. We're actually going to create what's called Appendix A. And if you actually in the Dungeon Master's Guide, Appendix A is interesting because it is random dungeon generation and random dungeon generation for solo play. So this is very apropos for, for us. So uh, Appendix A is when the party will gather and we will figure out when what will happen to uh, Pixie and Glade. Oh, I see. So Pixie and Glade are there's sort of like that ex- extra disc you that's get right. that if right. you want to like... That's right. That's been cut out. The extended right. edition. That's right. For the true hardcore folks, you listen, to, you listen to the podcast. You come for us talking about uh, kleptomania. You stay for Pixie and Glade and what's going to happen with them. <laughs> okay. Right? So... Uh, so today, uh, in our Word of Recall, uh, we're going to talk about post-adventure. There's, you know, so we talked about um, exploring, and we talked about encounters, and we talked about combat, and that's in the kind of the situation you're in the module or the adventure. And, um, but in a campaign, campaign is a series of adventures. Uh, there's this idea of what happens between adventures, this post-adventure or pre-adventure. And there's a lot of things that can happen, and this is uh, one depending on your play style, depending on how much time you have, to, uh, a lot, how much time you've vested in your world. This can be either a uh, tremendous uh, way for your group to get fill out their characters and fill out the world, or it can be a math-grinding, uh, annoying, frustrating haggle between you and the players. So, hopefully it's somewhere close to the former, but it's that. So, Dan, um, what's your, you know, again, taking from a perspective as being a longtime player and uh, a DM who's run a, a game for two years plus or now, what has been your experience with these kind of in-between uh, adventure times? Right. Well, so, okay. So, other than, you know, obviously the periodic administering of the estate of the character, right. which, which sometimes you have to do, uh, my, my experience has been, uh, this has been my answer to a lot of your questions, is it depends upon the party and the players, what they want. So, I think, I think one of the challenges with doing a lot of stuff in between adventures other than just sort of the bookkeeping, which is, I know we're going to talk about experience points and calculating that. That to me is not the fun stuff. The fun stuff is, of course, is building up the characters, giving them a rich story, meeting people in town, you know, who trains you, right? We just, you know, does there, do we have a name of the person who trains you? Is there a connection with that person? Yeah. Uh, my, my experience now has been that that's a little tougher to do when you're meeting just every couple weeks, you don't have a lot of time to do that. So I've mentioned before, you know, the, the days when, you know, you're in junior high or high school and you can go home, you play every day. Right. I think you had a lot more time to do that. It was a lot more fun. Uh, this, I think, so I think it's a, I think it's a little bit, it's been harder for me to do that. I don't know, and, and I don't think the group that I've been running, I think some people want that, some people don't, we don't tend to do it. I don't know if your experience has been different. I, I'm having the same challenge. I think when I was younger, the two things I see that as a factor, depending on how much of this post-adventure work and time and, and effort you want to do, is one, the size of your party. Um, so I think, I don't know about your previous uh, time when you were younger, but I assume you had less cat players than you do now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's if you have two or three players and they're running two characters 
and one DM. There's four of you. It's a lot quicker. You can spend a lot more time in town. We're we're having groups of between seven and ten. You know, having ten people try to tell what they're going to do and the DM interact. It's a lot of overhead. So I think um, so. I think that's one factor. And the other factor is like Dan. I run every two weeks. And so you, and it's only for three or four hours where you used to maybe play. If we get there, whatever, in the morning, you play till night. You have eight hours of time you're filling. So you hate to waste time. So you got a bunch of people sitting around while one person's doing their fun thing. And uh, the more people you have in the group, the harder it is for that to, to continue. So I agree with you. Um, but rules as written, there is a lot of information in here, and it kind of says this is a major component of it. So um, I'm going to start with the most important thing you have to do and kind of work your way down. So the first thing that every uh, player wants to know, besides getting magic items and money, the, the as important as they those are, experience points is important. So, you know, it starts on page 84 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. So, so Dan, maybe you can explain what experience points are. Um, Again, I don't know if it's an invention of Dungeons and Dragons like armor class and hit points, but you know what? Why is it? Why is experience points important? And this idea of levels, how do they go hand in hand? Sure. So experience points is points awarded to characters for finding treasure and for killing monsters, and the accumulation of experience points is the way to increase in levels for your characters uh, and. Everyone wants to go up in levels because it makes you more powerful, it gives you additional hit points, which makes it harder for you to kill, you become more accomplished. Um, and I know it's interesting, I know that your idea, and I hadn't really thought about it, is that in the actual game, characters don't know levels. I, I assume they know titles. As you move up in level, you advance a title, but you don't like this idea of people walking around in the game saying, hey, I'm level four. You're like, they don't know that. They may know the title. Right. Uh, and so, obviously... You know, the idea for most people of Dungeons and Dragons is I take a low level character, and this is very much the, the one experience. I take a, a low level character who is a nobody, and he slowly is built into a hero. And how you become a hero is by advancing levels. So that's sort of the goal is to get experience points. And, and if I just make a quick note about experience points, so, you know, we had a guest DM come run a game for us, and I was watching his group and, and the thread with his group. He writes up this big, wonderful recap of the game before talking about, you know, the adventure and what happened. And, and, and the players are they're in the middle of this dungeon. How are they going to get out? First response hey, have you calculated experience points yet? Exactly. So it was, that's what the characters care about. Yeah. So that, that's what experience points are. And, and so unlike other games, um, there are almost quantum, incremental, but there's still quantum changes that only occur once you go up a level. Uh, other uh, systems may say, well, you've used your sword a number of times you get a percentage increase in your ability to fight with swords. In this, in you have a class, which is a series of skills and, at, and abilities that are tied to the to the character. Once they've gained enough experience points, which is again, a, it's not an arbitrary, but it is some way to measure. It's it's not completely arbitrary, but is is it, it's not exactly tied to reality. Again, Gary Gygax talks about you know as a cleric, what is more experience, beating up orcs or going to pray at his at his temple. But you know, to kind of make this a game and not have to realism or at least pseudo realism take over, 
Um, every time you go up a level, you gain uh, an increase in skill as opposed to having these very slow incremental things that some skills increase and some, some skills don't. So uh, experience points is obviously the currency besides gold pieces uh, of the realm. And, the, and part of the reason uh, treasure is so important in Dungeons & Dragons is because typically uh, in the rule is if a gold piece is earned fairly and uh, commensurate it to the level that the players are, it should earn one experience points per gold piece found. Oh, you now you are going by the book. Right. Talking about, yeah, because I think most people play it, you get a gold piece, you get the one experience point, but you're absolutely right. There is that caveat that Gygax gives, which is, you know, if, if you're the 10th level paladin and there's a goblin there and you push the goblin over and take his treasure, you shouldn't get one for one. Right. There's but the... That, that's unusual, though, right? That'd be unusual. I think it'd be unusual for DM to to ding you on that, don't you think? Uh, only if it's. I think the scenario is there because again, most uh, unless you're running in the wilderness where you're going to get a disproportionate encounter. Most encounters and dungeons are set up that's commensurate with the party's level. Um, but the example would be like, say, you were in town and the tenth level paladin. Why he would do this? <laughs> walks into... You're right, he would, he, would, he would kill the goblin. Why is he just pushing him over? Right. He, he, would he, would, him. Yeah, he would just look at him and the goblin would fall. But he was, <laughs> you know, if the 10th the level thief went into the cop, the blacksmith's shop and stole the plus one sword that they had, that he had, or you know, gotten from his father's father, he's a yeah. zero level fighter, is that really worth, and, and then sold it for 2,000 gold pieces, is it is that really worth 2,000 experience points? And the answer is, from Gary Gygax and Perry J D four, no. It talks about the wizard who kills 20 orcs that's not worth the same experience points uh, as, you know, fighting a dragon. So, um, and that, of course, you know, we were talking about this before we started. There's the rules, and then there's the variance to the rules, and sometimes that makes it a challenge. So I, I kind of just use the smell test. If it's within reason, I'm not going to start uh, dinging them on that. So you, so the way uh, experience points are calculated, uh, one of the first things you have to discuss, is it going to be group experience points or individual experience points? Um, calculating experience is the complete purview of the dungeon master. How treasure is divvied up is the purview of the players. Um, though there are suggestions in the uh, player's handbook for how to divvy it up. Um, and how the DM gives experience uh, really will sometimes dictate how treasure is split up by the players. Um, so how do you, how do you uh, divvy up experience points? So I like to keep it simple. So when I run a game, I say everyone gets an equal share of the experience. And now, uh, so I don't say, oh, you're going to get this much experience. Uh, and, and if there's any treasure, we calculate the treasure as part of the experience points and then divvy it up. So there's no sort of, there wouldn't be an issue of, hey, if I get this plus one sword, I get more experience. My view of it is that the experience comes from the party having found the treasure, including the magic sword. Um, and so whether it's kept, sold, I do it all combined and divided equally. Uh, the only time I wouldn't do that is if there had been multiple sessions and some members hadn't been at certain sessions, then I would do it uh, pro rata. 
but I do it that way to keep it simple. Um, I know that there is a rule in there. If I and I think I get that. I think from somewhere isn't it? Isn't there somewhere in the DMG where Gygax says that if a particular character does kills a creature alone, single-handedly, right. they can get it. I always read that to suggest then that it generally should be party-based. Right, and that's the exception. He, uh, the, the division of experience points is slain monsters, all surviving characters who took part, and then the total is divided by the number of characters each getting an equal share. And then NPCs, uh, in this case, you know, basically henchmen, those who are following with you, and we'll talk a little bit about that, they would get half of that share. Even though they take a full share, they only get half of it. So you have... You, the party ex- earned 10,000 experience points. There were 10 characters, let's say nine player characters, one non-player character. Each would get 1,000 experience points, but the NPC would only get 500. Oh, I didn't know. Okay, I see what you're saying. I hadn't thought about that. So what you're saying, so that is lost. So in other right. words, it's not that they get half and, and you divvy up the other half amongst the players. It's that half is lost. Nope, it says... Um, so, example, a party of 12 characters encountered monsters. In the ensuing battle, all characters fight. Two are slain. The XP for the monsters killed total is 4,300. So each survivor... And by the way, you have to survive the adventure. You have to survive, survive to get the experience. But, and, and we would give... If you don't survive, then it does go, it does go to the other people. That was right, that's right. right. You get nothing. So uh, that's why dying like at the end, like my character did, kind of, if you were going to come back, kind of stinks because you get... Not only are you dead, but you don't get any experience points for that... Right. session or adventure depending on how the DM does it it's great for the other players right because they you, you were helped them throughout the entire adventure that's and right. then you die and they scoop up all your XP and it's right that's awesome that's, so they love it that's 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 and in fact they as you're falling they're already calculating how much more experience points they just got for that and then looting your body right but I'm sorry we, we digressed here. no it's okay so, so monsters total let's say it was 4300 so each surviving character gets gains 430 adjusted for difficulty and for being actual player characters or halved for henchmen characters mm. so yeah and you had mentioned there adjusted for difficulty so the dm can do an upward well we talked about downward yeah you can we haven't it. talked about upward uh yeah so you could do an upward if In you wanted to theory like, i mean like you said the dm can do anything they want right because the dm can also this is it's supposed to be unusual but the dm has the authority to award experience points for other stuff. That's Just right. I think that you guys played a really good game, or you accomplished you know you accomplished the mission. I'm gonna give you a multiplier, a one point two, whatever. Right. right? Okay. It, absolutely. Um, so so monsters are the first thing you have to calculate. So the the practicality of that is the dungeon master has to keep track of how many monsters were killed, how many hit points they were, how many hit points they had, because there's a table on page eighty five which I'm holding up the Dungeon Mask guys, page 85, which shows a table of the monster level. They have a, a, a columns for each uh, hit point and if they have special abilities. And then, and then the Dungeon Master has to figure out and calculate the experience points. Now, fortunately, for all the monsters in the monster manual, there is Appendix E where they've calculated the experience points. And the only thing you have to uh, calculate as a Dungeon Master is how many hit points the actual monster that was defeated by them. Um, so you're, you're the dungeon master, they fight five orcs, you, you highlight on your module or you keep track of five orcs were killed. Um, you then have to figure out, okay, they're one hit dice, 
that's 10 base experience points plus one experience point per level. Let's say they had an average of five, so a orc's about 15 experience points. And then you have to add all that up, and that's part one. And then part two is treasure. And uh, again, if they've earned the treasure fairly, it's a one-to-one. -one. If not, uh, then you can adjust it like that. Um, so you, 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 in your campaign, you share experience. You just dump all the experience in and you divvy them. So where, where there really is a variable, and um, because you can give exceptions for monsters being slain single-handedly, and the example here on, on page 85 is, and a magic user protected by fighters keeping off the enemy as he or she casts spells which slay monsters, not fighting single-handedly. Uh, they accrue XP only to the slayer and not included in steps one through three. So the example I would say is the thief is sneaking around and there's a guard and he or she kills him or trusses him up or whatever, defeats the monster by themselves, you could take that experience points and keep that separate. Unfortunately, the bookkeeping becomes mm -hmm. so massive already. I would say it's one of... You, what, now that you're a dungeon master, you just love calculating experience points. You've told me a number of times it's probably your least favorite thing you do. Can I give you my analogy yes. for, for this? So... Run, if you're a DM, running a game is like inviting people over and cooking them a big dinner. They come over, right? You spend a lot of time preparing this dinner. Right. They come over, they enjoy the dinner, they leave. XP is then like they leave you with the dishes to do. So they're gone, and you got to do all the cleanup and figure that. That's how I view XP. So yeah, I hate, I hate calculating. I thought you were, and that's a good analogy. I thought you were going to go that. After the meal, you have to figure out what they ate and figure out the calories. Yeah. And then, and then set, send them to them. Thanks for coming. By the way, here's how much calories you had just in case to keep track of your weight. And, 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 and when you wake up at 7 in the morning, there's a text message for you saying, have you calculated the calories yet? Right. Like, no. Yeah. I need to decide how much I'm going to run next tomorrow morning. Can you calculate that? Because uh, I'd like to know if I level up. Yeah, it's... It's unfortunate, and future games go to this idea of milestone. Um, but experience points and calculating it fairly is very important because, you know, one of the gripes of older editions of Dungeons and Dragons is this idea of balance with the player characters. And um, the way it's mitigated somewhat is the characters who have a lot more abilities to start off with. They need more experience points to go up in levels versus characters that are more s simpler. Thieves, particularly, they need less experience points. So if you um, don't calculate experience points fairly, and if you don't do it right, and you just say, you know what, every two times we play, everyone goes up a level, that skews, uh, it, it levels the playing field to, at a disadvantage to the characters who are weaker. So it's, you know, it's certainly very plausible to calculate experience points and divvy it out by the number of players. But if you go to a system where it's just the amount of times played, then that hurts uh, the thieves and the clerics and those uh, ex characters who have a faster progression up. And I, I like to mention the way we used to do it. I think this was your idea, and I thought it was the best way to do it, which is when the adventure's over, just sit there. I don't care if it's 11 o'clock at night. Sit there with the players and, and just crank it out. Yeah. And, and, and what's really nice is, and, and the group's been very nice about this that I have, is they've started keeping track of monsters killed. And, well, I don't know if they had monsters. I think they have, and, and Bob was doing that, and treasure. And so they, the party is helping the DM out and has a list. And they need to sit down and you say, okay, right. let's all get together. 
let's just stay here and let's just crank it out. What was the, you know, you tell me the monster. So, I mean, the way it was working for us is someone would tell me the monster. I'd look up the XP and someone would have the calculator on their phone and we would just crunch it all out and it would take about an hour and it was done. And that was kind of nice. I think if you wait to the, you know, the next day and you're the DM and it's just on you, it becomes quite a drag. Oh, it's, it's, it's a hassle. And I, I, I think if you can do that, the problem tends to be for me, uh, I've, I've tried to do that when I can, I do it. Um, you 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 know you're near at the end. It's already late in the session. You're just powering through the last part because you just want to end it. And now you're over the time. And then the last thing you want to do is spend another forty minutes calculating. But if you can, I agree with Dan. But you know what's nice is if you do it just on your own, you can just sometime at some point you just say, oh, it's seventy three hundred. Right. And you've done nothing. You've just made up a number. Yeah. And they're I, like, okay. Well, I, I kind of scan, you know, one of the things, newer modules in I'm first joking, edition. I'm joking. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm sure I've not calculated every experience point things perfectly. But uh, newer modules, so I'm running through some of the uh, giants and I'm using the compilation version of it. So they put the experience points for each monster right in the, in the block. And nice. so um, the only thing you're having to look up then is the... Uh, magic items so again one of the areas they talk about experience points for so we talked about uh, combat we talked about treasure it's one for one unless there's the idea that uh, so again the example if a tenth level magic user takes a thousand gold pieces from ten kobolds the relative strengths are about twenty to one in favor of the magic user so you should adjust the treasure by that factor um, so the easy way to do that is don't have these disproportionate uh, events but you convert that uh, into uh, treasure. Treasure equals experience points. You add it to the thing. So magic items. So magic items in the Dungeon Master's Guide, they have two values. They have experience points value and they have sale price value. And this is the chart that everyone loves because uh, the magic item chart is your is the, you know, again, magic items is what makes Dungeon Dragons fun. You, you want to give out magic items. You want the unique ones. Uh, but... Because there's a numerical value, two things happen. Uh, one, the players obviously will... Tr if, if you split experience points individually, so let's say Dan's character, if Glade's got a plus one sword, and Glade would be the only one who would get the experience points, well, then they all jump for the most... The magic items have the most experience points because they want to go up levels. The, the second thing is they look at the sales price and they go, hey, I want to go to town. Where's Dan's magic shop where I can just... I want to buy a potion of climbing for 500 gold pieces. And you go, no, you can't do that. And we'll talk about that more. So, um, But magic items are one of the areas that I've decided, you know what, I'm not giving out individual experience points because it causes behavior from the players to... to collect magic items they don't need um, and then two I then it's another thing I have to calculate separate from that as opposed to dumping that what's your thoughts on that no, I agree completely I agree completely I think you just you do you give up all the experience points and divide it now of course what makes it complicated is and if I recall correctly so if you with respect to a magic item if you sell it you get the one to one gold right. piece equivalent if you keep it, is it ten percent? You get ten percent of the. Well, yeah, it depends. It, it depends on some of them. It's about ten percent plus or minus. Some give more experience than others. Nope. So it, it, the the experience points value. So for instance, if if we had found uh, a necklace of adaption, uh, the experience points value is a thousand experience points. If we sold it, it's ten thousand gold right. pieces. So that's a a ten percent. But others 
are uh, phylactery of faithfulness is a thousand experience points, but it only gets sold for seventy five hundred. So, and I and I always thought it was all basically ten percent. It sounds like a lot of them are ten percent, but not all of them, obviously. It would make it so much easier, but yes, they they're varied. So, one of the things that you have to do then is before you can tally experience points, the players have to tell you. If right. you, if, you know, if, especially if you're doing it as a whole group and divvying it up equally, you have to know what's the party. The party has to decide whether which magic items are keeping, which items are selling, because right. you don't know the experience points at that point. Exactly. And I assume and most DMs, I think, say you've got to decide now. So in other words, you can't keep it and use it. It's kind of like I don't know how long it is. Right. But I basically do it at the end of the adventure. If you announce you're keeping it. You've kept it. And so if we come back and you decide, oh, I want to sell it, typically I'd be like, well, no, we've done experience points. You decide to keep it. You've got the fewer experience points. But right. But yeah, because if you keep it, you get the experience, and then you sell it, you just get the gold value at that point. That's right. Right, right. You still can sell it. Now, how do you deal with selling uh, magic items? We'll kind of talk just briefly when it comes to... Um, you know, do you allow for them to sell it right away, or do you make it a little bit of a challenge? I know we talk a little bit about because that's yeah. later in buying things, but yeah. what's what's your thoughts on that? So for me, I've decided that I find nothing is less interesting than haggling over gold pieces in D and D. So wait a minute, I just heard the last person unsubscribe. That the person who that's why they play the game is that was it I was here I was, they were waiting for that podcast that's right haggling haggling magic item experience haggling with that merchant they're like yeah with that merchant how do you do <laughs> a three hour podcast it's their that. favorite part of the game yeah. I mean seriously you, you devote half an hour to a discussion of doors that's and right. we get nothing on haggling with merchants <laughs> you're passionate about doors but yet the the, the art and science of haggling I'm, I'm, I'm a complicated man yeah okay so so okay. so I think I enjoy running an adventure. I do not enjoy playing the 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 skillful merchant who is trying to get you to pay twelve gold pieces for the rope instead of ten or whatever. That's right, the angry omniscient uh, like <laughs> right, say, right, right. PC. They're right there. So you know, I charge. You know, and I know. So, for example, I think keep on the borderlands. Gary Dyson had the ten percent sure. That makes sense because they're out in the borderlands. Prices are high, but you know, look. To me, it gets a little bit boring. This law of you know, supply and demand. Are they haggling? And hey, so, you're getting to the economy, but you're right. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it's a seamless web. That's right. The game is a seamless That's web. That's right. So I, I just charge them. What's the player's handbook? So to answer your question is, I don't find it a lot of fun to sit there at the end of the game and say, okay, well, you try to sell that potion of heroism. Well, go into the first store and, ah, he's not taking it. He's, oh, maybe I could, you know, it's like a used car salesman. Mm -hmm. and that just, to me, it drags the game on. And so I don't like it. Okay. And I think that's fair. I think for me... Have I, I just insulted your entire approach to your game? I'm no, sorry if I have. No, 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 no. I, I, I think for me, the problem with... Because what the players will say is, if someone's willing to buy them, why can't why can't I buy from them? Why is there why not? is it not a magic shop? Right. And if you want to have a magic shop, that's fine. I'm just not a big fan of it. Magic should be rare. It should be hard to come by. Um, and just because the players have a lot of it doesn't mean society in large has a lot of it. So that's the game I play. I think both of them are. But if because I've made that statement then I do have to spend a little time on saying, no, we're not going to, you can't just sell this for 3,000 gold pieces. The version I run is, there's a high-level magic user, 
He's basically a shyster, and he collects all these magic items. Says, "Well, I'm going to go talk to my friends, and I'll I'll tell you what you can get. I'll trade you for him." And basically, the trade is, "I'll give you what I'm going to give you for him." There is no haggling. There's no nothing. Yeah. You can either keep them, or you can give them to me, and I will trade them for other magic items of more usefulness. And you can give me some suggestions of what you want, but it's never a good uh, sale for them for the most part. It's more of you know, you're not going to be able to take 20 potions of healing and get a plus three sword. It's not going to be a, a game breaker kind of thing. You may be able to get 20 and get a scroll with fireball. That seems to be reasonable. So I don't want to haggle. So that's why I just, I basically take it all. I figure out all the, the experience points or the cash for them. I take, you know, some percentage off and then I find something that will be helpful for the characters that may be in line with what they're, but not exactly what they want because then it goes back to the adventures is where they should be finding the treasure not from hoarding up a bunch of stuff and then giving it to the magic shop and tr upgrading in town which is more of a video game kind of thing yeah and, I, and i'm sure you know you can come up with justifications and, and you've, you've provided one there about why it doesn't work both ways and you know i think you get well the reason you're able to sell them is because there really isn't a market it's they're very hard to find right. so they're scarce and so yeah you're it's very easy for you to unload them, so if I have an if I have a rare item, it's easy for me to sell that. It's not easy for me to find it necessarily, and it might be charged much more. I think at a certain point, isn't it okay? Don't you think as a DM to say, look, it's because of game balance, right? Right. So, so why can't why can't so um, I'm trying to remember where um you know so uh, Gygax has admitted I think in some places that it was because of game balance that you do certain things. I think at a certain point, can you just say, look? Because it would not make the game as much fun, right. you know. And that's why, right. you know, I don't need. To be, I agree. You know. I, I I think it's either way is fine, but that's been my rationale for that, um, and for this campaign and another campaign. Um, if I had a big city that with like you know a hundred thousand people in it, and it was kind of a Lankmar or uh, Greyhawk, yes, there would be magic shops and there would be all these kind of things. But in a town of three hundred people. You know, a Hamlet. There's not going to be Bob's Magic Shop where they've got you know Vorpal weapons and this type of thing, because all every bandit would come in there and attack the town and seize it. And and then you have the thing of well, how would it be, you know, if they're selling in tens of thousands of gold pieces uh, of material, there there would have to be you know just like a bank vault. It would not. It would be pretty significant. So it can be done. You just have to scale it with that. And and that's I think the tension in my group right now is because they want to do all these things. And they're in a, you know, it's a town for a medieval town. 300 is pretty good, but it's not a city that has the uh, merchant class that they're, they're used to. So, okay. So um, one of the things is what does it mean to return with treasure? When does that, ex when does that treasure count? You know, uh, is there a circumstance or, um, you know, how, how do you rule that in your game? Um, you know, I don't think we have a place to stay per se. You know, we get back to the town. Is that when it's counted? When we put it in the bank? What, what's your take on that? Well, my recollection is, doesn't the DMG say something about what successfully remove it from the something dungeon? Like something to that extent. So, um, well, I'm not a big fan of, you know, the bandits waylay you. On the way, on the way back to town. So again, a lot of it, a lot of it is just because I don't think the players. I don't know. Maybe they would find it fun. I don't. I don't have a lot of time, right. and so the game session is ended. Um, and so we basically just assume you're back in town. And yeah. so I haven't had a lot of those questions arise. So the reality is, once 
the adve- I, once the adventure is done, I say, okay, we, we start giving it up. I mean, I have had some situations where you've got to get back out of there. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big stickler for that. Um, how do you handle that? Well, the reason I bring it up is because, and I've read it, it's on page 85. Treasure must be physically taken out of the dungeon or lair and turned into a transportable medium or stored in the player's stronghold to be counted for experience points. And I was going to mention that, which is that another thing is, is how do you get the stuff out of there? Uh, I know no one likes dealing with encumbrance rules and all that stuff, and that's a, a that's somewhat related to this issue. But yeah, how do you get the stuff out of there? So you found all this gold, and you know, I, I don't know. I'd like to get your take on this, and I guess it depends on the players. Is it does it make for a richer game, or does it make it for a worse game? To then say, okay, tell me how you get it out of there. Do you have the transportation? I mean, I can see some players may enjoy that with the realism you got to think ahead and others may just be terribly bored i would say 80 percent of them are terribly bored and want you to hand wave it the other 20 percent and you know the larger the group the more likely you're going to disappoint someone with that so i think you have to strike the middle ground of um so or you have to do like my predecessor did which is you and 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 ed who gave out a portable hole to Gimbal, the, the new illusionist, and now it's all hand waved. He's like, they, everything is, oh, they throw it in the portable hole. Yeah. I've told them last time, they will, the, the next adventures, they're going to tell me what's in the portable hole because I have no idea what's in there. Every time they, they've thrown dead bodies in there, they've thrown armor in there, they have books they've thrown in there, they have money. Oh, so you should, so you would need to do a spring cleaning of your portable hole right. perhaps once a year? Right. What okay. is, maybe you should explain what a portable oh, hole is. Oh, I'm sorry. Is. So portable, that's very good. So a portable hole is a mat, is, is a, you want to talk about a magic item that is, uh, uh, if you go to Dragon's Foot and describe how, how the portable hole works, it's described <laughs> in, in, in that you unfurl this cloth onto, the, onto a surface and it makes a, it makes a hole six foot wide and uh, ten feet deep. Uh, it's basically a six foot wide circular hole that goes down. And that's to be different from, okay, because that's to be dif- uh, differentiated from a bag of holding. Right. A bag of holding has a, it's, it's, I think it's pretty much a fixed uh, dimensions based on the type of it is, and it has a fixed volume or weight of, of that it can hold. And if you exceed it, the bag rips open and every, all the contents are lost in this multi-dimensional space. Basically, it's a magical container that uses an extra dimensional space to hold more stuff than it, it should. So there's so so the bag of holding is much more useful than the portable. So the portable hole is going to fill up quicker. It's no, the no? portable hole will hold. In fact, go out to Dragon's Foot. How much coins is it? A portable hole. It depends. Well, how big the coin is. It it could go anywhere from a hundred thousand to three million gold pieces. It could hold in a hole. Yeah, portable hole is way bigger. So you so you right. So you aren't happy with your party because they've got this. They've got this. They've just been throwing a bunch of right, stuff Right, so it's in basically there. the size of the room we're in, or at least uh, yeah. half the size of the room, versus a portal uh, bag of holding, which can only hold three or 4,000 gold pieces. So oh, that's how so we've... Bag of hold- okay, so I thought it was the opposite, so yeah. it's bag of holding. Yeah, so the volume big. limit of a uh, the largest bag of holding that you can find is 250 cubic feet. So that's, what, 10 by 10 by uh, 2.5 feet. So it's it's... A large, but not the the weight limit is only fifteen hundred pounds. Whereas the portable hole talks nothing about weight limit. You could put bars of iron in there, and it w- wouldn't make a difference. So, um, 
that's how we've solved it. Everything's right. like, ah, pfft, we just, they found 10,000. The, the hard part is if they're trying to scoop up the money, how quickly they can scoop up the money while they're fighting or whatever it is. That's right. been the thing of that. Right. So, so yeah, but, but, but the DM should ask, how do you get it out of right. there? Even, yeah. even if it, if you don't, dem- I don't demand much. But right, you generally want to, well, how do you get it out of there? Yeah, and I think that you can't just completely hand wave it. You just have to say, um, you know, if you have you found ten thousand gold pieces, how are you getting it out of there? Right. And you know, most likely the player hasn't wrote it down. Okay, so leveling up characters. So um, the the joyous moment comes. You as the dungeon master. Uh, state the amount of experience points and one of the group, hopefully one of the lower level, uh, you know, the more rapid ones, hey, I've gained a level. So what happens then when you when someone gains a level? What has to happen? So it's very exciting. So for me, the biggest thing when you gain a level is in first edition AD&D, you get an additional hit die. You get to roll right. for additional hit points. And that to me, of course, there's going to be other benefits. It's possible that you may move up on your ability to hit the to hit table, right? It has different ranges. You may go to a higher one on that, but um, and you know certain classes, you get certain bag fighters. You know, well, every character class at some point you're going to have more proficiencies on weapons, yeah. things like that. Um, I know that you know with like druids and some of these other subclasses, you go up levels, you get certain benefits, and mm-hmm. um, we know um, a thieves. Their thieving skills incrementally right? improve, improve right. which is a big deal because the thieving skills are very weak right. for a low-level thief in first edition. I'm still stunned that I mean we got like third or second, third level characters or whatever. I'm like, well, what's your whatever percentage? Like twenty, yeah, really? Twenty percent. Twenty percent. It's like you have no training at all. And um, but but so I think the biggest one I think of is is the additional hit points because of course hit points that's life. Right. Uh, it's it gives you a cushion. You know. Uh, just like in yesterday's game, my character had eight hit points. Um, I had was down six. I got hit for six, whereas other characters had taken a number of blows because they had twenty hit points. Right. So that's a big deal. And you got you got to roll for that, right? right? So you could get a one, and that's very so. Everyone, it's fun, right? Everyone sort of uh, oftentimes you get around. Say, okay, who's leveling up? And they, okay, roll for your hit points. And right. Everyone watches, and they're rooting. Everyone, for you. Yeah, everyone, it, that's part of the tradition that you should do that in front of people. Um, <laughs> part of the tradition, yeah. Part of the first edition uh, tradition. We don't trust you. That's right. We, you know, I'm sure you're in your job, you're trusted with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, a heavy piece of equipment, you've been in the military, but we don't trust that you're going to be honorable with your six well, out of roll. So. Yeah, because, you know, if you if you commit a crime out there, you go to prison. But, you know, what's what's the penalty for cheating at That's D&D? Right. That's, you know, it's all about cheating the potential D&D. penalty. Another, another great podcast we need to do. So, um, the, so and, and the cleric, uh, let's say, who's one of the... Uh, character classes that need the least experience points to progress they announce that they are now uh, second level they've moved from being an acolyte to an adept i think is the next uh, oh level wow that'd be good if you got that right very impressive you're if, right if it's acolyte and adept uh, you didn't get it right it's not impressive acolyte yes. To adept yes thank you i'll be here all week that's that's thank you for the coffee i appreciate that so and that and fifth level famously the, the, blank you're right i am I am Bob, the... We know oh, the, you're very powerful. We know the answer to this, though. I can't remember. It's somewhere. It There's per- a reason. Is it perfect? Like, yes, I think it is. Or, oh, wait. Yeah, or prefect. Was it... They, they, it, had been, it had been right. a, isn't there a typo somewhere yeah. where it said perfect? Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be prefect? Per- it's supposed yeah. to be, yeah. Okay. So... I'm perfect. That's right. <laughs> so what are I, you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. the perfect cleric. That's right. What else did you want to know? <laughs> um, 
So, uh, so now you've got these experience points, and the first thing on page 86 it says is experience points are merely an indicator of the character's progress towards greater proficiency in his or her profession. Upward progress is never automatic, and that's in full capitals. Oh. He's screaming at us. So, oh. explain the process of how this poor, excited player started to play the game. They have enough experience points, and now the DM explains the reality that is in first edition, how this is done. So rules is written as you understand. What ha- What's the process that has to happen? Now? Well, I assume you're alluding to training. That's right. Okay. No, but, but you mentioned something, and I think I remember reading that, is that even if you've got the XP, the experience points, XP, and uh, you got the money to train, it sounds like the DM can say, I'm sorry, you're not ready. Right. Is that right? So in well, other words... It's not ready. It's going to take a long time and you may not have enough money because there's a calculation. So I'll let Dan read this. Yeah. So what's supposed to happen is that every session, the dungeon master is supposed to basically give a... Prof- you know, if you're at work and one of the most unpleasant things you have to experience at work is your performance review, right? Mm-hmm. Your supervisor mm-hmm. sits down with you and evaluates how you've done... Well, congratulations. If you play first edition Dungeons and Dragons, you as a dungeon master are the supervisor and you're supposed to rank each player's ability to play their character's class as you think it should be played and score them. E for excellent, uh, S for superior, three uh, F for fair, fair performance or P for poor performance. Basically one, two, three, and four. And so each session, let's say you have three sessions and Dan's character plays superior one and uh, uh, excellent superior and fair and he he is able to go up a level, his ranking would be a two, which is superior play. So he would get a score of two and then for, he would calculate the level of character uh, multiplied by 1,500 gold pieces times the week of study during training. So in this case, I'd say, congratulations, Dan, your character's level two. Now you need to spend two weeks training at 1,500 gold pieces. And um, he would look down and he thought, oh, I have 1,500 gold pieces. I'm good. No, you need 3,000 gold pieces because you were not superior play. And uh, that's I, the challenge. I hate this role. Okay. Yes. So... And, and I want to ask you about that first paragraph there on 86, mm-hmm. right, which says that the actual, it's never automatic, in caps. The actual, in the last line, is the actual word is a matter for you, the DM, to decide. I'd like to get your interpretation on that. Do you think that means, I don't think anyone would do this, but do you believe that means that I, just as the DM, can say, I don't think you're, you're not, you're not ready. So it's not, it has nothing to do with the one, two, three, four. Mm. It's, I'm sorry. You're not going. I don't know why I would say this. What you're 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 a five? I don't know. You're ten. You're that bad. But you know, do you read that to me? Suggest that I, as the DM, before we get to the next period, I can just say, look, it's not happening. I guess you could. It would be. I can't think of a situation where you would do that to a character and expect them to come back and, <laughs> I agree. Uh, to a player and expect them to, to return. I agree. Uh, you know, unless you you know, same thing like the performance review. Right now, we're getting into management. If you. If you, sh- you know, hey, I'm saying you every day, Dan, and then we sit down for a performance review, and the first time you hear that you've you've actually done nothing, your this whole right. performance period, right? Um, we're not giving you any more money, right? And I'm, and you need to keep working on it. that. Would be a problem. I'm only paying you what I am paying you because federal law requires right. me to this pay is the you minimum, minimum wage. Can, this is the minimum I can pay you without going to jail, right? Or getting a fine. I I think you. Look, 
I don't. I, I, this rule makes me very uncomfortable as a DM, and I and I'm. You know, I'm going to ask you in a second if you've ever used it because I'd like to hear. And I knew when I decided to try to play by the book, uh, this one I knew about, and it weighed on me because I figured if there's going to be a rule, I'm probably going to violate. It's going to be this one. How uncomfortable must it be? Who wants to give a performance view? No. How uncomfortable must it be to sit down? I mean, is it like a performance view? Do I take them separately? Like, okay. We've divvied up the experience points. James, please come with me. Right. And we go into a little room, and I'm like, James, yes, I'd like to talk to you about hmm. what you do. So, you know, you're, you're the cleric. Remember that time with the skeleton, and you didn't turn? Why, did, why didn't you try to turn? I'm folding my hands and getting into You are. You're very upset. Because you're, you're perfect, so yeah. you don't understand what's going on here, because you thought you are perfect. Why, why didn't you try to turn that skeleton? Because, you know, you, you fought it, and you, could, you didn't even try to turn. I well, the, you know, and I, I don't remember getting a perform, uh, an operations manual to say when I needed to turn it, but it was, was there a standard operating procedure for this? Well, I thought, well, presumably you were trained as a cleric. Did you not have training to get first? Well, it's like you have no cleric training at all. Well, whose fault is that? I work for this party. It's not, what, I have to do everything here? This is very frustrating. You're being very aggressive, and you shouldn't right. blame other party members. <laughs> it's, your scores, yeah. it's, it's, you, I was going to give you, a, I was going to give you a two, but because of your attitude, right. you need a three. I, so I'm giving you a three. That sounds retri- retribution. Well, it's listen. It's retribution practices. I'm I don't think to, that's I'm, unlawful. I'm going to need to go to the Equal Opportunity DMs. Uh, you're about to get fired. Okay. Well, fired? You're going to be fired. You're going to be on a performance improvement plan. This is not active. Very listen. soon. You're not being a good supervisor. Just, this, I see you're upset about getting this thing. Do you see how much fun this is? Yes. This is this is fun. Why are we not doing this? <laughs> this could be the whole game. <laughs> this is After fun. every session. You know, because we get done with 10, 30, 11 o'clock. What would be wonderful is from 11 to 12 when everyone's really tired, Reviewing their performance. Well, well, you know, time. well, you know what? So we do this on we do our games on the meetup site, right? <laughs> so I'm sure you've noticed we get rated. Yeah, we have stars. That's right. And so it is interesting, right? So maybe you know, uh, you know, it, it, it may, maybe we should rate players. But well, I think the, go ahead. I'm just gonna say I think this is very uncomfortable. I've it always is. given ones. I think that players look 1,500 gold. Pe- a lot of groups don't even use the training rule, right? right? So the training rule was designed, as I understand it, to make sure that the characters didn't obtain, didn't accumulate exorbitant right. sums of money. It was to siphon it off, and there's also, we can talk about, you know, the, about 100 gold pieces a month you're supposed to spend on, yeah. on, on food and whatever. And, it, and, and a lot of groups don't even use the training rules. Um, and so then to come in and say, well, the minute you say, we're using training rules. There's going to be a hug uh, right. from your players. Then if you come in and say, "Oh, by the way, you're a two. Right. Which, you know, it's kind of like as a professor giving out a B. Right. The student should be happy, but they're not. No. Right? And you're like, what, no. why are you unhappy with the two, James? That's your right. cleric was superior. That's right. And I'm like, I wasn't excellent. Right. You should be happy with the I two. Went, I, I've already gone to the dean. Right, you've already complained. In fact, the, it's when when I saw the B on my thing, I've gone to the dean. Right, exactly. The test wasn't fair. Right. It's subjective. Right, um, and so I so maybe th- we could do three sixty reviews where actually we don't rate them, but the rest of the players rate them. People do that. Somebody suggested really? that. Yes, I've heard that, and I guess it wasn't you. It's a, yes, no, it wasn't. Me. It may have been online. That sounds horrible. Where it is, what you do is yeah, that the players rate everybody. That, I know you in know, tournaments they do that to help with scoring, and if it's an individual scoring, but I've not heard in normal gameplay. Well, but as a DM, amazing. this is perfect because what it does is it ensures that the player, rather than being upset with you. 
is upset with the other but players. You, you, and you'd have to put some kind of thing in because you, you want to. The whole point of this is to make this as painful as possible, but not for you as a dungeon master. So there'd have to be something like they do. Uh, there's a pot, there can only be one one, like the bell curve. So mm. you can't have, everyone can't be a one because everyone would just get a one distribution, yeah. Right, so then there'd have to be this kind of uh, Machiavellian thing where they'd all have to figure out there'd be, you know, so if there's ten of you, there'd have to be, you know, one one, one four, and three twos and three threes or something to that effect or four and four. So basically only one person could be a one, one person could be a four, and they would have to, and, and then you would grade it on a curve based on that. I, I think it would be amazing. I, this that could be the game in and of itself. I really wonder if if Gygax used this. I don't know. Did he? I mean, but it's, it's a whole page. It's not just a, a part of it. Well, Gygax can get away with it because yeah. he was Gygax. But me, you're a three. Like I've been playing like, thirty years longer than you, kid. I'm yeah. not really a kid anymore. Right. I'm pretty old, but whatever. You know, I took twenty nine years off, so it's a little weird for me to judge people. So after you see it, my play. <laughs> with Pixie and Galette. Who am I to say, no, but I can say, look, I know poor play. Right. I know it very well. Right. You've done way better than that. You deserve You deserve superior play. Yes. So, all right. So, the, yeah. So, but you're supposed to do that. If you're playing by the book, right. give them. An, and, and so, yeah. So that's per week, which means it's every point is an extra 1,500. And if I understand it is if you're level one and you want to go to level two, it's 1,500 times, so let's say it's one week, it's per your current level, That's right. not the level you're going the up level to. level of the training character. So if you got a two and you're level one, it would be 3,000 gold pieces right. to train. And you need that money to advance level. So the problem is, and this is where it, again, hurts the balance. What If you have characters who are, the, to, to make sure other classes don't overpower them, the idea is you should have a party that has like a seventh level thief and a fifth level magic user because of all things being equal, the experience points, they would be slightly higher, they'd be higher level. Well, if you're a thief, to get first level, you need 1,251 experience points. So assuming some of those experience points came from fighting monsters, let's say you got a thousand gold pieces and you got 250 experience points from defeating monsters, you're level two now, you need 1,500 gold pieces to train. You don't have 1,500 gold pieces to train. That's assuming you do excellent play. So it's just always this, you're not even trying to siphon the money. You never have enough money to deal with that. And so this is the frustrating thing for, um, so then the players either have to give other people money so that they can go up in level and they're constantly broke. Uh, so take a, You can take out a loan. You can take out a loan or you have to take a quest. And that, that part is beneficial if you don't have a linear campaign. You can force the players or give players some options to play another adventure. I think the goal is, right, you said to siphon off money, but also to have them continue to adventure. What's the motivation for uh, adventuring? Because they need more money because they're constantly being broke. But is, is it a fun mechanic? No, it's not a fun mechanic. I, I don't think anyone is thrilled that... Um, and so I've done a house rule to make, um, while it still costs money, it's more of a percentage of their uh, the amount of experience points they needed versus a flat fee. So that uh, while they can get prohibitive at higher levels, at least the initial level, they only need a few hundred gold pieces. Ah, and that would make sense. And Thank you. we should talk, yeah, I like that. And we should talk about maybe a little bit about what happens when you keep, you can't go up level. But you keep getting experience points, right? You you max at the next, right? If I recall correctly, right. the the number one away from the next level. So let's say that I have enough to go to a second level, but I don't have enough money, mm -hmm. and so I go on another adventure because I'm trying to get that money. 
um, of course, accumulating experience. My understanding is that I can only accumulate experience up to right this the, right before level three, right? So the max of level two. Yes, and and the way I read it. So, and this is a scenario that happens if, let's say, you have a first-level character adventuring with third-level characters. And so yeah. they, he, he or she survives. They get a lot more experience points than the first level would normally get. And they go from zero, let's say the cleric who needs 1,500, they get 2,000 experience points. So they've, they've gone up. Uh, that day they would just go up a level if they had the money. But let's say they got 4,000 experience points. Um, that would, that would, they have enough experience to go to third level, but... In you know, one way to rule it is, and the way it's, it sounds to me is, you would just get up to one experience points less than third level. That's that's the way I read it. Right. So it says once a character in bold print on page eighty six, once a character has points which are equal to or greater than the minimum number necessary to move upwards in experience level, no further experience points can be gained until the level actually gains the new level. So, um, but before that, it reads uh, something similar to what it is. So. You know the the challenges. Some could argue. Um, so what happens? The the big problem with the money rule and this. So you say you have a thief who has fifteen hundred experience points. They go back to town. He wants to train. Uh, they don't have enough money as a group to train. That thief can't earn any more experience points at that point. They're at fifteen hundred. They can't earn any more until they gain that level. Oh, you don't let them go up to... No, because that's what the big, bold thing says. Yeah, I know, and it's confusing. I want to say that there may have been... I know Sage Advice is not binding, which talked about this. I could be wrong, and and I thought indicated that you could actually go up to one before. But, yeah, that's... Because there was always some confusion on that, right? And so you've got it as they're frozen. They can't keep... Well, so before that says, thus a character who successfully adventures and gains experience points, which is not equal to a new level, but almost gained for yet a second such level, cannot apt to forego the period of training and setting it to go up a level to gain a few more points in training. So in other words, you, uh, the way I read it as, you, once they go over a level, they have to train. But you don't penalize them, you don't go, um, you know, you, you have to train after that amount. If they get the scenario of um, they're at zero, they can go up to one experience points less, but they must train at that point, or okay. else they won't get any more experience points. Uh, now, if they get 10,000 experience points they have zero, then they would only go up to 2,999 if it was a cleric going to third level. So they lose those. Right. I, I would not let them have 10,000 experience points and then after four adventures... Oh, great. Right. So great. It, it basically comes down to that's why the the uh, economy rule of um, being so expensive is, is problematic because they, they may not have enough money to train. Then you have the cleric and the thief who can't train because they don't have enough money as a group. And then they go out adventuring and they have no reason to adventure because they don't have enough money. And then they all come back to town, everyone levels up and they've lost that thing. So it's really important. Um, you're going to have to figure out a way to, well at least I think so, um, to if you're going to keep party balance, first air quote, uh, to allow those higher, faster skilled uh, party members to go up. Because there's already a disincentive for the party. If the party's made up of 
magic users and rangers and paladins, things that need higher levels, they want to keep adventuring. They don't want to go back to town and figure things because they can't go up in levels. Whereas the clerics and thieves constantly want to go back to town because they want to level up because they have higher progressions of levels. So, um, you know, that that's always a tension when it comes to this. The party's like, ah, well, let's forget about going back to town. We only got one guy who can go up. From a strength perspective, you should always be going back to town. And can I run real quick question? Sure. Just make sure I understand this because I know you've made this argument before. Yeah, so say you got a thief, you need 1251. Mm-hmm. If you get 1251, you're not going to be able to advance in level because you don't have, you, you need, let's say you did, you were excellent. You need right. 1500 to train. Right. But if you're only 1251, this necessarily indicates you don't have 1500 in gold pieces. That's right. Unless you saved a lot of money. But for your initial role, we're not going to get that much money. I mean, right. so it, it, you're simply not a low-level thief is not going to have. It's impossible. Unless right, let's say get a loan, right. or they really didn't spend much. I can't remember how much the gold they get initially. I mean, right. well, that'd be interesting. So the thief rolls initially, and they want to buy a bunch of stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. You're gonna you want to hold on to that money. You want to put it in a high, yes. high risk uh, in savings account. A- absolutely, to you're right. You need to invest it. That's right. You need to go, you know, and get it invested. Higher. Because you're, yeah, because you're going to need. You want to come back. Hope the economy right. has done well. Exactly. Right. The Greyhawk Exchange or mm-hmm. something. Right. Some kind of Bitcoin or whatever that. Right. Is. Right. Something. Right. Coin. The right. new thing. You're right. Or you've invested in some like new magic, you know, potion or something <laughs> exactly. that's really going to be exactly. all the rage. And that's right. Okay. Got it. So yeah. So they could not go over. So they went adventuring. The thief needs twelve fifty one to be second level twenty five hundred. They get 2,000 experience points. I would let them go to 2,000 experience points, but if they did not go up in level, they would be stuck at... They would still be first level with 2,500 experience points until they had enough money to train. Yeah, and you know their starting goal isn't going to do this. It's, two to, it's 20 to 120 gold yeah. pieces. Well, that's, they would have to basically gamble, which is another option. So, uh, so that's the problem with the costs. And so you, as, as a dungeon master, have to decide, or we all have to... If your rules is written, here's the here's the consequences that I've seen in the game. What happens is you get uh, if you want to support the the to minimize the party imbalance. Again, paladins have twenty abilities. Magic users can you know sleep ten people. Uh, they take a long time to go up, but if you blunt that by uh, preventing the lower level players or, or faster progressing characters from going up, you have that problem. Okay. Um, so, other in-town activities, let's kind of go through them quickly. We talked a little bit about the economy, and, and you've kind of, and I won't say this in a negative way, this is not a big thrill for you, but apparently for, for when uh, Gary Gygax wrote this book, um, there's two pages on the economy yes. of, 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 you know, and how you deal with fees, and how you deal with uh, t- things, again, this idea of, and, and I understand why, because as the one of the challenges of all these games is the game makes a lot of sense at low level. It's easy for the dungeon master to play it. There's a lot of fun, a lot of easy ways to challenge them. Mid level is also pretty good, but as you get to higher and higher levels, it's it becomes more of a gonzo factor, superhero kind of thing, and the money that they need to collect. You know, a twentieth level wizard needs to get I don't know four hundred thousand experience points every level. You know, so that means they're you know collecting hundreds of thousands of gold pieces. What do you do with this? So he, I think he's trying in the in this uh, in the dungeon master's guide to kind of figure out ways to use that money. And so you know, on page ninety and ninety one, it talks about the economics. 
and monster placement and how you place treasures. So from a dungeon master, it's great to kind of flavor that out, but um, we don't do a whole lot of that. Is that a fair statement? I certainly don't. I, I think that it gets a little tiring to t- say, okay, take off a silver piece because you've entered the town. There's the duty. Or the 10 minutes haggling with the guard to get into the town. Right. And and that's invariably what's going to happen then is if you say, well, there's a silver piece tax or duty as you enter the town, someone's going to want to sneak in, they'll want to haggle, and it becomes, you know, half an hour later over the the silver piece. So, no, I don't do a lot of that. Um, I like, I do like where Gygax says, what I think he says, what, on average, 100 gold pieces a month because... Uh, characters are, they're kind of... Uh, yeah, it's like Conan, they, when they get the gems. They're just drinking and carousing. They're just spending their money because they're living today because death could come at any moment. Right. So so that's that's kind of nice that you can just do the... I don't think players are excited. you got to keep track of time. And I don't think they're excited when you tell them, okay, it's 100 gold pieces for that month to deduct it. I'm sure they're unhappy about I think about it's that. per level, isn't it? Oh, it may be. I think so. I don't I've never had that. a campaign where the parties made it past first level, so I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> you have second or third levels <laughs> at I? this point. Well, the ones who have continued to figure out ways not to die because uh, they get lucky or whatever, then, yeah, that's because uh, that's, uh, they run, which is smart. Um, but, yes, the idea of upkeep and taxes and fees... Uh, one I I will use again. It, I kind of gauge where um, where the game is. You know, if they're flush, if I want to give players experience points, so they can go up in levels, and I give them a lot of treasure. Well, then they want to start doing crazy things with it. They don't. They're not just happy to hoard the money, and you know, they either want to buy. Yes, I want to go look for a Vorpal weapon. No, you're not going to go find a Vorpal weapon. Or I want to build a, a tower, which we'll talk about later. But your second level, you can't build a tower. Mm-hmm. Or I want to, you know, I want to buy the whole town because I have twenty thousand gold pieces. No, you're not going to buy the whole town. The king will just arrest you and and and, and take your money. So, um, one of the things I will use is if when they take the money out of the orc. Uh, tomb or excuse me the old king's tomb the coin may be from an old realm or from another realm oh you can't use that money here you have to do a money changer and there's you know take 10 percent off of that <laughs> and that you want to talk about a good time having all the all the players have to figure out and calculate the 10 percent off of off of that That's, right. that makes them and, and of course it's the same magic user who they try to trade magic items with he's the one who runs the treasury too so they have a hatred for the the magic user who runs that and that's another reason why I don't like adding the percentage, like upping 10% on the equipment list. Because then they're like, you know, oh, that's 10%. And what, how many, the, so many gold and so many silver. Right. How many silver are in a gold? And you're, oh, it's awful. Well, yeah, this, this thing is two copper pieces. Right, okay. What does that equal to? There's nothing lower than copper pieces, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 because you know what you do? You know, that's where, you know, two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar, because it was eight bits. What you would do is, you would, because, you know, the, I think the Spanish, mm-hmm. they would cut the coins into eight. That's what you do. So you uh, could so, have so eight have, bits of copper. You know, I, I, so we learned something new. So two bits, that, four bits, six bits of copper. So I'm, now I'm going to tell them that if they... Uh, if they want to buy that for ten percent, they need to provide <laughs> two, two copper pieces and was that two bits of a copper, basically? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess it would be. Um, yeah, well, would you have to? Well, we're not going to do that into ten. ten. So yeah, we're already confused. Info at GrogCon. <laughs> if someone out there could figure that out or tweet us at, at Grog Talk, uh, you, you can let us know what that what that Bit, would be. Yeah, yeah. The original. Someone Bitcoin. could write that for us. That would be great. Yes. Um, so 
you know, that's an opportunity and prices and available. One, one thing I will try to remember is price and availability for items. And, what, you know, do you just, we talked about the 10% increase of that, uh, but do you allow all items to be available? What happens if they want, you know, I want a Caltrop or something that's not on the list there? How do you handle that? So um, it depends, just because it's on the list doesn't mean they're going to get it. It depends. It depends where they're at. So if they're in on the borderlands, somewhere far away, it, it may not be available. If you know they're going to probably have a home base, they have a home base and it's a decent sized town, which I think is nice to do. Then it, for me, it's anything that's on. You know, it's like Manhattan. Anything on the equipment list is available at that price. Uh, if they do bring up something like Caltrops, because it's funny, one of the very first games I ran when I got back into playing and I was running as a DM, uh, so, so he said, yeah, I want Caltrops. And you know what my response was? What's a Caltrop? Yeah. Now there is a reference to Caltrops somewhere. It's not on the equipment list. There's somewhere. Oh, there is. A, yeah. There is. There's a Cal. It's referenced somewhere we'll in the DM. That up, yeah. yeah, it's referenced somewhere. Uh, and so, um, it, it depends, and strength bow, it, it depends. Yeah. So it depends on the situation, but I'm generally pretty easygoing. If it's on the equipment list in a player's handbook, it's it's not going to be hard to find. And then there's chalk and you know uh, other things that are kind of inferred. I mean, some of them are more benign, and you kind of allow that. But. I had a character, so I ran a one-off, and the guy was playing a gnome, illusionist thief. You know, I love gnome, illusionist thieves. And no, and this guy did a great job. Did he just want it? Did he want a bag to asphyxiate himself? No, <laughs> that would be. I would. No, he did a that. great job with this gnome, and um, he wanted a bag of marbles. Oh, sure. You know, you find marbles. Sure. So you know, marbles are going to be around. So that 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 wasn't a problem. So um, it depends. Other people want very specialized things. Right. If if you're spending, here's basically my rule. If I've heard of it, there's a good chance you'll get it. If you're describing to me what it is. Probably not going to get right. It. So if I want the collapsible ten foot pole that breaks into twin pieces right. and it weighs only right. twenty gold pieces, and I can extend. really, you know, you'll get it if it's if it's one or if you can say it in one maybe two words tops. You can. I want. What do you want? Marbles. Elephant. Okay, well, there's a price. I mean, you know, it is a city state, so all right. Right, and you're well, price. So right, so yeah, you can it, get an elephant. Oh, you can get an elephant in the town of 300. Probably not. Probably but, that, not. but that's one of the things. Oh, we all want war. They want war dogs or pigeons or these type of things. And again, it's like, how much time? Because remember, the, one of the things that will keep your game interesting is the the sense of time. If you just kind of have this, time doesn't mean anything. Um, then you get questions like, well, we have a war elephant, or I want to learn this, I want to learn that. No, you don't have six months to train with a war elephant to figure that out. Why? Oh, well, I just can't. I just get it. <laughs> There's some things you should consult with your fellow party members. So if you're gonna, but we had one uh, character. He, he brought his dog in, and I thought it was great. Yeah, and and, and a but dog the, is 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 a is one that you can definitely see. But just showing up at the at PetSmart or E Mary PetSmart and picking up a war dog and expecting it to act like you've been training with it for six months is, is not fair. Now what I did is I thought this was fun wise so we had a character who wanted a dog and so I did have him basically go down to like a pet smart place because I think it came maybe in Pelinor I can't remember City yeah. State and so I had like the dogs that were available and, and each one had something good but a little flawed. Nice. You know, so in other words, it wasn't just your standard dog. Right, right. There was like, you know, I think one was Beholder, who, I don't know, he had like good eyesight, but he was like, I don't know, there's something bad Skin about it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it was exactly, right? So he was very gassy, you know, part gas spore or something. I don't know, I can't remember, yeah. but, but yeah. But so, so those are the type of things you have to um, 
think about as a dungeon master. And you know, that's one of those, when in doubt, say, mm, I don't think you have it here, that you'd have to go to the big city for that. And um, let the players kind of adjudicate some of that. That's what they're, you know, right now, we use Meetup, um, and I basically said, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this. You guys got to tell me what you're doing while you're in town. You have a week, basically, to do all this, because assuming some of you folks are going to train. And, you know, I guess you were commenting on how many comments I had in the group. I, I like, think I get like 85. I think there's up to 90 now. So it's it's gotten crazy. Because <laughs> they want, uh, you know, so the next bleeds into what the, what can they buy? Um, not only equipment, but they, you know, again, we talked about can they buy magic items. And again, that's a per DM per DM thing. I do it where there's a trading thing, so I have some control over it. And I don't have them just opening the... Dungeon Master's Guide and looking at, you know, page uh, where it shows the gold pieces and go, oh, uh, my um, three potions are worth 2,000, so I want to now buy a plus three sword. Because right. what you'll find in the in the Dungeon Master's Guide is, so for instance, a plus three sword uh, costs 7,000 gold pieces. A scroll, uh, let's just say of, uh, well here, a potion of undead control is 2,500 and Potion of healing is 400. So I take my 10 potions of healing, my one undead control, and I want a plus three sword. No, that's that's not going to work that way. And one of the things I do think, you know, if you have characters who have a skill that they want to use, you at least need to honor that. Meaning, if someone has a high charisma um, and they want to use it, you should give them an advantage in town when they're doing this. You know, I don't know about haggling, but you can say, you know, the paladin, because he's a highly charismatic character, they should get advantages when they when they deal with people, just like we would give advantages to strength and this and that. And I, some, sometimes I we hand wave some of that. No, and I agree with that because I think most player characters put their lowest scoring charisma, unless they have to have it high for, for being what I think is a bard right. need or something. You know. There's a few. Yeah, but but and so that would reward people for having a little bit better. I agree with you completely yeah. on that. That's we don't use charisma enough as DMs. So um, then. The, as they get higher up in level, you know, do you, would you allow them to buy land, which is you know, yeah. and, and um, you know, just buy parcels of land, you know, or buy a house or buy something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's got to be available. Um, so I remember in the game I ran, I ran Tower of Xenopus, mm -hmm. which was the sample module from the Holmes Basic set, and. Um, uh, so there's going to be a little bit of spoiler here, I guess. But, uh, I mean, but it only came out in, what, like 1977 or whatever? You never know. You should know it's by it's now, on, right? It's on my player's playlist, on my reading list. Uh... Uh, yeah, Tower of Zen. And, and, and it, you know, it ends at this... Well, I guess, you know, it, it ends at this uh, this tower, which is not the Tower of Xenopus. Uh, and I think you guys wanted to squat. Right. And I told you that, well, no. I mean, it's it's right outside the city-state. You, you, yeah, you've killed the baddie that lives there. Yeah. But that just means that it's going to be inherited by somebody, and I gave you guys a bit of a hard time about that. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of times the assumption is, okay, we've killed this guy in this house. We'll live here now. That's right, squatter's rights. Squatter's rights. And part of me was, was in retrospect, wished I had played that in a way to get you that place because I think that's the fun of the game that hey we live in this place it connects right. the adventures it, 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 it gives it the flavor uh, and, and but I was like no you'll, you'll have to pay for it if you want it but so the answer to the question is is yes I mean I I think that's part of the fun of leveling up and becoming stronger is 
you know, you have land. And, and, uh, and or property. And I think, yes, I think if you have a campaign, you definitely want to promote something like that. A, it, it removes the incentive to, quote unquote, second air quote, uh, murder hobo. If they're just these basically locusts that go from place to place, taking everything and moving on. If they have a place in the town, they're going to come back to that. Um, it provides a, a base for of operations. And it also supports this idea of retainers and henchmen in that if you have a house, you know, players who are not playing, they could stay at the house and the rest of them could adventure. Uh, if you have, you know, you, you can escape back there and you could have your followers or retainers or henchmen live in this tower or castle. You know, it wouldn't be a castle or something really significant because obviously now you're getting into the feudal structure if there is a structure of government. But, uh, you know, a manor or something like that, that certainly would be a reasonable. So, um, and then it gives you opportunities to DM to do make your world alive. So one of them, uh, you know, retainers and henchmen, we talked a little about expert hirelings and, you know, getting them. So retainers and henchmen, specifically uh, about henchmen, is you can go into town and you can advertise you're seeking basically uh, someone to go with you on adventuring and you would be their master in this case open quote number three and um, you would take care of them and they would be loyal to you and there's this whole process in the dungeon master's guide about advertising and multimedia marketing campaigns and uh, you could almost see now it would be on uh, either tinder or facebook where they'd be social media and swiping for this uh, but that would be you know that's a long process it could take weeks to uh, attract someone. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of it. I think if I was running a different campaign, I would at least encourage that. The problem is, again, then you have more characters you have to manage as you go into the dungeon. And the players really have to step up if you're going to have eight player characters and each of them have one or two retainers. You've got a party of 24 running through the dungeon. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast that when I played uh, back in the 80s, we... I don't remember bringing along a lot of people. It's just the party. Uh, but, you know, Guy Gax was clear that I think he said smart parties do bring them along. Yeah. So I've always felt like if if you wanted to get them, you could. I remember, um, right, your son yeah. did that. And that's how I learned about these rules about, how you know, putting the advertisement out and how long and waiting. And so I, I agree with you. I mean, I, 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 I would prefer it doesn't happen a lot. But since it's in the rules, and smart players, I guess, do it, I I would permit it. I would never have a problem with it. And, and I'd go through the process in the DMG. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's an opportunity to, again, flesh out your campaign. Um, if you want to do that, uh, you know, again, uh, I think when you have time constraints, or in our case, we like the old modules, we want to run them from the nostalgia perspective, it makes it a little more challenging. But if I was doing complete new campaign with my own setting, you would definitely want to do that because um, both land and retainers and henchmen give you more hooks, more opportunities to flesh out the story and it doesn't have to be this linear, you're going from here, you're going from here to there. So um, one of the things you know I've done is they, uh, in the campaign I'm running, they took over this underground, underneath a, a broken tower, there was a, a lair, they took it over and that's kind of their base. Uh, when they go back to town, 
and a couple of times they've been ambushed, like the uh, Peter Sellers, Inspector Clouseau, and Keto. Keto, you idiot! He attacks him to. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So the Pink Panther, uh, back in the movies, he would come home and his manservant would attack him to keep him on guard, and uh, <laughs> so you know, again, the idea of the here come. I think another pod uh, YouTuber, you know, famous advocate Matt Coville. He's, you know, and I think others. Adventurers are seen leery. You know, people, these people come in, they cause problems, they spend a lot of money. It's like a biker gang that comes into town. <laughs> Most people are not going to be happy with them. It's kind of they look at them leery, and they, you know, they're throwing money around like it's going out of style. Most people, peasants, live on one or two copper pieces a day, and here they are tossing tens of gold pieces. You're going to get. Uh, some notice. You're going to get notice from thieves guilds, assassins maybe are going to come after you. You've killed uh, you know, the high priest or whatever. Now the cult has got a, a looking for you. So having that place in town, that sets up uh, thieves trying to take your treasure if you put it in there or assassins coming and killing. So that can be a fun thing because then it gets that thing of the party's never safe. They always have to think about it and if that's the game you want, then that's great. Uh, but then you are going to get more characters who go, you know, they're going to spend 30 minutes before they go in their own house. All right, we're going to go around the back and check everything. And so if you want that, that's great. Uh, but it's it's definitely a style of play that I at least want to insert every once in a while that the world is, is dangerous. Well, and I think that it should be dangerous if the party has done things during an adventure sure. that warrants it. So, yeah. you know, for example, your party... Um, strangled that nice old lady. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, you called her a, a, was a witch. Is the I phrase? I believe she used. was an evil sorceress witch, uh, based on. All that. right, tomato, tomato, whatever. Right, and so uh, it, it was the mother of the owner. Of, and yes, she did. I, I'm, I'm joking with you guys. She, you know, she did rise and was very spelly. Right, uh, and it wasn't good. And, and you guys sucking our souls or something like right, that. Right, so yeah. it, you acted appropriately. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was the mother of the owner of the manor. Right. And so, who's a pretty important dude. Right. And so, you know, he's going to come home and and find her strangled and right. dead. That that should have post-game repercussions I, out there. So I agree. Uh, yeah. And I think because he's probably 15th level or above, even though we don't count levels, and our players are 2 or 3, three level, I think when Dan is tired with the game, he's just going to say, right. the, the wizard comes and gla fire, the blade blast firewall hits you all and you all roll 15 dice of damage and have a nice day. And there it is. So the last thing, or the two more things, is, is research. So this is another thing that players want to do once they get to a higher enough level. They want to research spells. They want to create magic items. If there are evil characters and assassins, they want to get poison. Um, these are all things that you can do. There's a lot of... Uh, information on there. It's not as complete as you would like, um, but it, you know it gives you the basics of it. And again, that's one of those: do you hand wave that or not? We know Dan has talked about his his uh, affinity for spell components. And here's another part you can take, which is how do you create uh, magic items? So you can maybe you can briefly describe some of the. Do you do that? Do you allow it to happen? Is it? And if you don't, why don't you allow that to happen? Well, so my understanding, I don't have a lot of experience in this because look, the current campaign, the uh, players are very low level, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't remember doing this back in the day. Uh, but you've got to be pretty high level, don't you, to start doing that, right? You have to be uh, minimum of to get scrolls and potions is sixth or seventh level, right? To be able to, to write them. So um, I've I've never 
gotten to that point. So I'm actually going to lean on you to okay. talk about, about the creation of magic items. So this is where the tension comes between what the players want and what the Dungeon Master's Guide says and the type of difficulty. They want to go, oh, I want to create, you know, the smart party would be like, during the downtime, basically the clerics and magic users and all the spellcasters spend all their time producing scrolls, like a giant factory of things. Mm-hmm. And they just have 20 fireball scrolls because A, they, as we mentioned, spellcasting in combat is very dangerous. It, it can be lost, whereas a scroll, really, you discharge it. It doesn't say anything about if I'm reading a scroll and I get attacked the spell is ruined. It doesn't mention that. It's just basically, you can. it's just like using a magic item. I can use the magic item and an attack does not disrupt that. Because there's no, there's no movement right. as part of it. There's no, there's no spell, there's no spell components. It's just... There's no semantics. You're just reading it. So now you could say it could be potentially ruined if a silence spell, but that would be different than an attack. Sure. And the nice thing about scrolls is that they do not count against your allotment of spells for the That's day, right? right? So if, if you're a low, if you're a first level magic user, you have one spell exactly. per day. But if you have five scrolls, then you can cast all five of those. Right. You right. have that extra bonus. So it's a win-win. Yeah. So yeah. Smart parties would definitely do it. So of course they want to crank these out. And the challenge is. If you read this as written, you they have to create special ink. And the ink has to be... So an example of a petrification spell protection, you would need to have one ounce of giant squid sepia, one ballis, ballistic or ballistic eye, three cockatrice feathers, one scruple of venom from a medusa snake, one large peridot, one powdered, one medium topaz powdered, three, two drams of holy water, and six pumpkin seeds. Mm-hmm. This is an example of a recipe for the ink you have to right. take. So if you were to translate that, if you're in a town of 300 and they want to create a scroll of yeah. fireball, yes, you need the ground tooth of a red, dra- or, you know, red dragon and this and that. And Where would they find this stuff? So how do you balance making it hand-waving where they can just crank out 50 things like a video game or you make it so painful that you know, they have to take 18 quests uh, to find all this stuff, and, and that's 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 the challenge with it. What, what I would do is, again, I like the home base as a big city, so it's not Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. right? You're not yeah. out in the middle. And, and so you'll have access to all of this, but it's going to cost you. Right. And there is, and in Dragon Magazine, there was uh, a an article which talked about spell components and gave a price for them. And so, so that's what I would do. So you can either do it that way, and I think that's definitely fair, or you can just say, you know, there's this other theme of magic is so rare. You know, we're just, this whatever time and period that you have, they're, they're relearning how to do magic, that there was a better time when it was the ancients had more access to magic, and we're just a copy of a copy of what uh, there is. And so... Um, no, you can't get scrolls because no one knows how to make them. We're just basically living off the ancient texts. We we have the we have the basics of how to do a spell, but we don't know the mechanics of how a spell was created. So we're just living off that, and that we're we're basically consuming off the old history. Um, you know th- that's certainly acceptable play, uh, allowing them to do this. It could be fun, but if you know, I think you have to. If the characters want to do this, then they need to join in in the fact of yes if you want to create a uh, potion of healing you need ogre magi blood of uh, of thread or thread of saint's garment that's what it says for a potion of healing 
You know, what's interesting about that, and we talked about this before, is that if you're aware of, and I don't know, I said spell components, I don't know if these would be considered spell components. Spell components are things that cast spells, not necessarily make the scroll. But if you know stuff like this, so you kill an ogre magi, shouldn't you, you should right. carry, put some blood in a flask. So, and that's Sell basically that. what, if you play, I think that's what kind of what the style was, that, that these, um, you know, your magic users and priests and things become these ghouls that basically, as soon as the something dies they descend upon them with their little collection samples and start putting them in little petri dishes and and putting them together hey hey they, they didn't create the world they live in that's right they're i just, think that's they're just living through they're it. trying to make their way right so but and, and you know they also oh, you know i've had a couple of characters go oh i want to research a spell in a week it takes weeks to learn a spell and they have to have a lab that's in a research facility that's sufficient enough to yeah. do that so, so those are the things that you have to just kind of Manage and 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 this this is a bigger issue, which is how much time do you have? What's the flavor of your game? Again, if you've got tons of time, right. a lot of this stuff can be really, I think, pretty cool. Right. You know, because it really adds the flavor. If you don't have a lot of time, and you just want to do adventures, this kind of stuff, I think, really bogs it down. That's yep. my opinion. So, you know, the mandatory is doing experience and level points. How you do that, how simple, that's up to you. The rest of this can either be done, what I'll call offline, when you're not getting together. Or you can say, you know, the first half an hour, we'll just kind of do that. And, you know, you have a week uh, or, or time in game, so that limits the amount of things if, if you want to move forward. The last thing, uh, and just real quick, is the idea of castles. When you get to a named level... Uh, whether it's a lord, whether it's a, a patriarch or some other level of class, it talks about the idea of you will attract followers and you can purchase land or acquire it. And then again, that's the ultimate non-adventuring thing you can do because there's rules on how to build your castle. How much does an arrow slit cost? How much does a small gate cost? And you could have hand this to the player and say, how big a castle do you want to build? And they can figure out, oh, I want 18, you know, four towers and a moat and this and that. And they can actually spend the money on, and then you can attract uh, followers. You could attract uh, demi-human uh, or humanoid um, soldiers. If you're an evil wizard, you could have, you know, you could be Saruman and all that, which is amazing, but that's a lot of time and it's not, you're not in the dungeon. And I think the idea is once they get to that point, the characters are really transitioning from being player characters to becoming parts of your campaign and again that's a fun thing and uh, I think that's what I'd like to see my campaign get to is that they do this great thing and then the characters become part of the society right. and then they open you know they start with new, a new campaign right and you bring those characters back in as important NPCs right, right. so right Lord Barrick or whatever right. is, is right. summoned you and right. and right and I think that'd be a lot of fun yeah I think that it's going to be curious a lot of players don't want to do that I think for the mo even though I think that's the tradition here, um, I think they want to keep playing because they keep wanting to get more and more powerful things, versus just saying, okay, now you're ninth or tenth level, you're a lord, you're going to go off and, and do. It's like you know, it's like the boxers; they can't retire. Right, they, they can't uh, let it go. Well, Rocky Marciano, I think he he's never retired. He, I don't think he, he's, he, he's done that. He, but right, but but aren't they keep fighting. Exactly. So. I think that's a good place to leave. We've talked a lot about uh, things. So, so now we've gone over the, the, each of the parts that make up the game. And how much of each you want to do is something you have to think about. You don't have to start with all of them, but you're going to have or, or have 
uh, a mastery of each of them, but you at least need to have each part of it uh, to do that. Any and other final thoughts with that? Just real quick, so this is just sort of a, a, a note for the future. We should talk about, as one of our podcasts, how to start a first edition group, because we've gone through this. Yes. And we may have people listening to this and saying, yeah, I played back in the 80s, I want to play again, but how in the world do I find a group? Are there one players Absolutely. out there? So we're going to want to talk about that because yep. we've given them all the basics. Yep. We've got them all excited. Exactly. Well, They're we, ready to adventure. We've had some comments on YouTube where people are like, oh, we, you know, this has really got me fired up. I'm looking through my books again. So that's awesome. Yep. So uh, that's it for that section. And now we're on to suggestion. Suggestion. And Dan, you're gonna you go first. You're gonna cast your suggestion spell. What's your what's the suggestion you're gonna do? My suggestion is a campaign setting. Okay. Which is the Pelinor campaign setting, and and you know that I I tend to like more obscure things. Yeah. It's just part of my personality, and Pelinor. But most people, when they think of a campaign setting for first edition, they obviously think of Greyhawk. Yeah. Gary Gygax's campaign setting, which of course was wonderful. Uh, Pelinor was in Imagine magazine, which was. Was uh, the UK version of Dragon? It mm-hmm. was TSR, if I recall correctly, uh, magazine. And Pelinor was a campaign setting, and uh, I used it recently. Um, there was a TPK, and so I decided I wanted to move on. Not because I didn't like Pelinor, but we moved on to the City State of the Invincible Overlord because I wanted to try that out. Uh, and I just found it to be a really nice campaign. So it's very interesting, a lot of detail. There's a lot of information about the NPCs and how they're related, who knows whom. Uh, and there's been a, uh, a Kelry uh, has published online a, uh, a remastering of it altogether, which is really nice. And so if you're looking for a campaign setting, something a little different, something that people don't know about, you know, because everyone knows Grey. I mean, I'd be scared to use Greyhawk because they'd be like, well, those mountains aren't like that, right. you know, or you, you don't, this duchy is, no, that's not how that would act. That's right. If you're looking for something that could be kind of your own, that people haven't used before, is pretty manageable. I recommend to you Pelinor, it's P-E-L-I-N-O-R-E, the Pelinor campaign setting. That, yeah, and, and when you ran it, it was a lot, it was very flavorful, and I actually listened to a podcast from the Grognard Files, they're great, a great podcast out of England. And because they're in England, they have the British perspective of uh, de- you know, role playing, you know. And uh, the mag- they had the one of the editors. I don't know if he was the head editor from Imagine Magazine, mm-hmm. talking about what you know one of their great accomplishments was Pelinor and how they kept putting things in and giving a lot of information about the campaign. And eventually, when they compiled it all, you know, a very rich world of the motivations of the players, the uh, the NPCs, how things worked. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy being murdered, but uh, I did enjoy the, the, the campaign itself was a lot of fun. There seemed like a, you had a, a, a treasure trove of information that you didn't have to figure out. And it was it, it was cohesive and it, it felt very immersive. And, and, and one of the things was, so the deities were interesting because yeah. the clerics of the deities could use certain weapons based upon the deity. And so some of them could actually use edged weapons. Some of them were, you know, you got to be a little careful. I think you know, your son picked a deity for a cleric who I think that was what, amazing. What was it? He, he couldn't. He didn't heal. He was the love deity. He was the love guy. He he couldn't heal. He couldn't fight. He couldn't fight. He couldn't heal. 
He couldn't. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. It was not. He couldn't do much. He's the god of love or whatever. Yeah. He just. Yeah. And so that was not very. So you got to be. So in other but words, I think he did it on purpose. It was almost because my son was kind of being a little. He couldn't fight and he couldn't heal. His eyes were wide open. I could probably find right, it in yeah. here. So well, yeah. And yeah, while you're giving why, your suggestion, while you, while you do that, yeah. So, but it, I thought it was hilarious. I don't. Think the, I don't think the player characters found it too fun when he couldn't do anything for us. No, not not after a while. Um, yeah, god of romance. Uh, uh, Melson. Yeah. And so um, he couldn't. He, there's certain uh, things he was prevented from doing. Um, and so you basically, you know, it's a it's a cleric who can't uh, who can't attack and can't cast. He couldn't heal. He couldn't do anything. Oh, changes to clerical abilities. Yeah. No cure spells. Right. Uh, that you do gain detector to spell spells one level earlier. Non-combative. Right. So you're right. Not, so they don't cure. They're they not if forced fight at minus five. Right. Lose all spells until forgiven. So, you know, there's this idea. There's the adventuring cleric. Right. And then there's the cleric who stays behind. Yeah. If you're worshiping this deity, are you really? <laughs> should you be an adventuring cleric? And I don't understand the the non-healing. That doesn't. I, I I'm sure there's reason behind, but. The uh, the uh, you know combat I can get the passives and there's a lot of uh, you know interesting flavor in the role playing. I don't know how well it will work in your traditional first edition game, but because yeah, God God of Romance, I mean, you would be permitted to touch as long as you have permission, right? Right. I mean, it's it's when you don't have permission right. is the problem. Yeah, and and some would argue that touching would be healing, so I'm not quite sure. But, what... but uh, so I can see no cure spells without permission, right? A recipient, right? Yeah, it would have to be a consensual touch. Consensual healing, but so yeah, but so other other than being careful about picking that deity, if you're a cleric, the Pelennor campaign setting is wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, they should fail their save and, and really go look it up. And and so who? What was the person who combined? combined? Well, this is Kelry, which Kelry. is not a real name. It is somebody online who loves some of this old stuff. I think he's now doing. He's compiling. Um, there's there's another. There's there's a town. Irulian, yeah. and he's compiling that now. And Kelry. Um, compiled Pelinor, so it's unauthorized, but it's, it's he collected it all together. You can also you can find on eBay the old Imagine yeah, magazine, so you could you could get these. I mean, but this would be easier if you just wanted the campaign and you wanted it compiled. You wouldn't have to do, to do a lot of research. Okay. Exactly. So my suggestion is the Book of Layers. It's a later. Th- Almost mid '80s, probably in the early, '83, '84. So the scenario, like with the random uh, encounter, um, it's it's an AD and D TSR product, and uh, I roll up on the dungeon master's random table a minotaur, and glades and pixie see that minotaur and they go, "Well, we're going to go after the minotaur. He lives in a cave. What does it look like? How many minotaurs? What kind of treasure it is? It's that thing where the grain." Either you have to completely improv it, or you um, kind of have to stop. Oh, I got to figure all this out, and the game cross it. So the book of layers have a bunch of small little uh, layers for, uh, and they're level appropriate, starting with goblins all the way to Medusa and you know uh, things like that. And so you can sit there and go, oh, I found a level three creature. I can look up in there, and it has a small five or six room mini adventure of what that layer looks like and you can just pull it out insert it in your game or you need a one shot which is always the thing of hey 
you know, I call Dan, I, I can't run today. Can you do something for fifth to seventh level? He doesn't have time. He needs just a quick five or six encounter thing and he can use that. So there's a book of layers. Uh, there may have been a second book of layers, but I, I, I keep the book of layers on a PDF in that scenario of I've done a random encounter and now I've caused myself and I, I, I'm like, oh, this would be kind of interesting. They had a scenario where they were going through the mountains. I rolled up a minotaur. I'm like, oh, that would be kind of cool. So I took the caves out of it, and I, and I did it. And it took five minutes as opposed to 40 minutes. So that's the book of layers. And if you fail your suggestion, you can find that on eBay. So um, just wrapping up real quick, we are, you know, we are on, uh, on, um, we're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. Twitter is at, at grogtalk. Uh, we, are, we have our website, GrogCon, because again, we're, we're getting ready, we're moving forward. I guess next month is now the meeting uh, to talk about it. Is that correct? That is correct. So GrogCon at Crucible. We're on Google Play and iTunes. We still want pictures. Uh, we're always looking for things to put up here. And um, any ideas for future items that we want us to talk about, you know, if we want to go back and uh, discuss more about XP and how you, how you performance reviews and other ways you accomplish mm -hmm. I'd love to hear that. Or guests. Uh, we're still working on having that uh, guest uh, assist, uh, series. So, um, you know, uh, for now, that's what we're going to do. We're going to move into uh, Appendix A. But before we do that, uh, we might as well uh, sign off for here. I'm James. I'm Dan. And again, thanks for listening to Grog Talk. This is big, a pushy, a big production. All rights reserved.